The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and culture. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am delighted to be joined today by Daniel McCarthy, who is editor of Modern Age and a columnist for The Spectator. And we're going to be talking about the future of the Republican Party. Now, Dan, this week we marked January the 6th, the anniversary of the, the storming of the Capitol. And while we, we, we touched on this, in, well, we, the last podcast we did was, was about this uh, on Americano. So we probably shouldn't dwell on it for too long. But I just wanted to get your sense of the, the feeling about it in America, because it, it seems to me like the Democratic Party are trying to sort of memorialise it in an attempt to banish the ghost of Donald Trump which will lead us on to talking about the future of the Republican Party. Is that what you think? That's basically correct. So if you look at the opinion polls about January 6th, you find that most Republicans think that this was a riot, it was a criminal act, but it was not something that poses a danger to the Republic. If you look at polls of Democrats, a lot of them are com- comparing the January 6th riot to the 9-11 attacks, to Pearl Harbor. Uh, they have an extremely melodramatic view of what happened. And then if you look at independents, they're about in the middle, and uh, they are you know, slightly more concerned about January 6th or uh, somewhat more concerned about it than the Republicans are, but they're not as alarmed as the Democrats. And I think the Democrats have seriously misplayed their hand here by basically defining their party in large part in the you know, sort of first troubled year of the Biden administration by being the party of hyping the January 6th attack and trying to make this a threat to our democracy. I, mean, I suppose it's it's sort of the, looking back to January for the Biden administration. That's when everything looked quite good for them politically, right? They could they, perhaps they were genuine. I'm sure they were genuinely concerned about the state of the nation, but it seemed like a good opportunity for them to come in and for the Biden administration to be the the administration that brought order to chaos. Well, there may have been a brief moment, a couple of days, when they thought that uh, the January 6th attack would be a kind of cause for national unity and that this would help Joe Biden. But I actually think that from the beginning, there was a problem for Joe Biden, which was right here as he's about to be, you know, a couple of weeks away from being sworn in, he's being already totally overshadowed by Donald Trump and his antics. So even the, the Biden administration, even the Biden years, are still lived in the shadow of Donald Trump, starting right from January, you know, two weeks before Biden is inaugurated. Well, let's move on to the shadow of Donald Trump, which, uh, which never goes away. This year, I think we are obviously going to see the, the race for the Republican nomination in 2024 shaping up. And of course, the sort of the elephant in this elephant's uh, room is Donald Trump. And uh, it's a boring question, but I probably have to start with it. Do you think Donald Trump will run? Yes, I'd say there's about an 85% probability that he will. Right, right. And do you therefore think he will win? He will certainly win the Republican nomination if he runs. And I think he will be competitive uh, in November of 2024 uh, if he has the Republican nomination. So uh, I don't know, you know, what the outcome will be uh, in the next presidential election. And I think it's, you know, uh, 
We have to remember, Donald Trump's victory in 2016 was a pretty narrow thing, just as his defeat in 2020 was actually pretty narrow. Mm. So that tells me, I think, that Donald Trump would be, you know, a viable contender in 2024, especially, you know, depending on who, what, which Democrat he's going up against. But we've also seen that Donald Trump, while he has a lot of strengths in terms of his ability to mobilize Republicans and even reach across and get some new people into the party, he also, of course, polarizes a lot of people and drives a lot of people into whatever camp is opposed to him. Yes. I mean, we saw towards the end of last year, there was a lot of excitement about the victory of Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, in the gubernatorial race in Virginia. And Youngkin was seen by a lot of Republicans as somebody who could win on Trumpist talking points, but without these sort of grubby connotations of, of Trumpism, without the bad branding that Trump seems to have. Do you think the Republicans had a point or do you think they were overexcited by the idea of a Youngkin type figure who might take over Trump's mantle? My own view is that uh, Glenn Youngkin's victory, and in fact, the victory of the entire slate of Republican candidates for statewide offices in Virginia last November, was a result of the issues environment. So you had Democrats who had massively overreached on things like, you know, cutting police budgets, on things like uh, the lockdowns related to COVID, and uh, of course, on critical race theory in the schools. Those issues were easy wins for any kind of Republican. And so I'm not uh, inclined to, uh, you know, credit uh, Glenn Youngkin in particular very much for the success that Republicans had in uh, Virginia last year. That said, uh, Glenn Youngkin certainly came off as a much more relatable, normal human being than his opponent, Terry McAuliffe, in the gubernatorial debates in Virginia last year. So he was, you know, perfectly good as a candidate. In terms of his background and what he means for the Republican Party, uh, I do think that, you know, populists and Trump supporters should take note that uh, Glenn Youngkin comes from the corporate wing of the Republican Party. I mean, he's the former CEO of the Carlyle Group, which is kind of uh, notorious for being the most connected, insidery kind of organization you could possibly have in high finance. It is a uh, sort of one of the leading forces of globalization in many respects. So um, Glenn Youngkin, you know, sort of personifies some of the tensions that exist in the Republican Party right now. Mm. And I mean, with with the actual the rest of the Republican Party, the the old establishment, which does it really exist anymore? The old Trump opposing establishment, does it have any power within the party anymore? No, I think the uh, you know hardline never Trumpers, your people like Liz Cheney, for example, they really are marginalised and on the fringe right now. And uh, what you have are people who actually you know sort of full throatedly support Donald Trump, or people who say they support Donald Trump, but in fact you know would really rather that he either shuffle off the stage now or had never even run back in 2016. So you have a lot of crypto never-Trumpers, I would say, but uh, rather few outspoken never-Trumpers within the Republican Party. Would, I mean, do you think there are quite a few Republicans who, while they may not oppose Trump, they see, and they may be right to see, that he is unlikely to win a presidential election? Yeah, there are people with real doubts. And, you know, there are folks who supported Donald Trump back in 2015, 2016. These are not, you know, sort of opportunistic supporters of Donald Trump. These were people who, you know, were behind him at a point when his poll ratings were actually not uh, unconquerable within Republican Party. And uh, some of those people actually do have grave reservations about another Trump run in 2024. And uh, some of those folks are supporting Ron DeSantis. Others are keeping an open mind and looking at the field. But there is that concern, even among people who were and have, you know, sort of very solid Trump bona fides, who are um, quite concerned that, uh, you know, Trump has, uh, you know, he, he won an election narrowly in 16. He lost an election narrowly in 20. And they look at 24 and they say they want, you know, a, a, a safer bet than Donald Trump would be. Do you think if Trump had not embraced the stolen election idea, it would be much easier for him to make a sort of Lazarus-like comeback now? 
You know, I'm of two minds about that. I do think that the only thing in 2024 that threatens to make Donald Trump weaker than he was in 2020. Remember, in 2020, Trump would have liked to have run on uh, his economic record, which was absolutely amazing until the COVID shutdowns hit and until the you know sort of economic recession and all the side effects of COVID afflicted our economy. So Trump would have liked to have gone into 2020 running as a candidate with a successful economy. He couldn't do that because of COVID. Also, of course, COVID itself, the pandemic, all the deaths, this was something that uh, any incumbent president was going to have as an albatross around his neck. So it seems to me that the circumstances of 2020 really worked against Donald Trump. And in 2024, those circumstances not only won't be there, but whatever problems the country may be facing will be tagged with uh, the Democratic incumbent. So Donald Trump in 24 could actually be a lot stronger than he was in 2020, except for January 6th. And that is something which obviously was not an issue in 2020. But uh, in 2024, it's something that a lot of people will have uh, deep concerns about. However, that said, as I mentioned, if you look at the way it's polling right now, a lot of moderates are really not all that exercised about it. It seems as if the Democrats have overplayed their hands. And a lot of Republicans really are very enthusiastic and supportive of the idea that Donald Trump would challenge uh, the election process and would challenge, you know, the irregularities and the sort of novelties that occurred during the 2020 election, which, of course, was a very different kind of election than we've ever had before. You had a lot more mail-in voting. You had, you know, sort of changes of procedures all around the place because of COVID, or at least COVID served as the pretext. But uh, Republicans are very exercised about the idea that our elections, our election laws and our election processes are being altered in order to favor the Democrats. Let's get on to um, a, a sort of likely matchup between Trump and Biden in 24 and talk about that 20% chance that you mentioned that um, it's not Trump. Trump decides not to run and then or does possibly run and doesn't win. I agree that's an outside chance. Uh, who are the most likely candidates? I mean, the governor of uh, Florida, Ron DeSantis, is talked about a lot. Ted Cruz is sort of making noises again. And of course, he did come second last time to Trump and has not completely vanished despite seemingly being humiliated by Donald Trump or there's a lot of always there's a lot of talk about a more establishment figure like a Nikki Haley and so on what's your view of the runners and riders yeah you know if Trump runs I expect an almost empty field and you may see you know the residual never Trump forces try to consolidate around a single candidate but it's not at all clear who that would be so even someone like Nikki Haley who is beloved by uh, people who are uh, not so uh, enthusiastic about Donald Trump uh, I think Nikki Haley would not want to damage her potential future in the Republican Party by being seen as the anti-Trump or the counter-Trump candidate. Uh, and I think that goes all the more so uh, for candidates who are closer to Trump's point of view, someone like Ron DeSantis, for example. Vice President Mike Pence, you know, would clearly like to run, but uh, he too, I think, you know, is, is doing the calculations and seeing that he would not win against Donald Trump in a primary. It would be a very mixed kind of a field of support for Mike Pence because uh, some of the never Trumpers think he's too close to Trump to be someone they would support. And uh, of course, all the Trump supporters uh, prefer Donald Trump or someone more Trumpian like Ron DeSantis. And indeed, uh, as the people who stormed the Capitol that day proved, a lot of Trumpists regard Pence as a traitor because he he didn't. Well, right. So the 700 people who stormed the Capitol are, you know, an extreme fringe. But, you know, a lot of normal Republicans, a lot of normal Trump supporters, they too think that Mike Pence was just rather weak and is not really the kind of uh, person they would want to have as uh, Donald Trump's running mate. By the way, I think that's going to be one of the most interesting questions coming into 2024 is what kind of negotiations and what kind of calculations Donald Trump would make if he runs again for his uh, vice president, because he clearly is not going to choose Mike Pence. 
The question becomes, will he choose someone who's similar to himself, someone who is uh, seen as being from the populist side of the party, uh, you know, a DeSantis or someone like that? Or will he choose, you know, someone who's balanced the ticket or provides some kind of reassurance to people who have certain reservations about Trump? And uh, my guess is that next time he's going to go with someone more like DeSantis and someone who's closer to his own point of view. Interesting, because I suppose looking back at 2016, Pence did prove at the time it seemed like a very boring choice, but he did prove to be a very shrewd choice because he did reassure a lot of people that were nervous about Trump that there would be a sort of modicum of of Republican normalcy. That's right. I mean, he was the governor of Indiana and, uh, you know, he was from the Christian conservative wing of the party. Pence had disappointed a number of Christian conservatives by not being firm enough on some of these religious liberty issues like the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act in uh, Indiana. But nevertheless, you know, Pence was seen as someone who was, you know, conservative in a kind of orthodox fashion and who was, uh, you know, an accomplished governor and uh, a sort of stable figure, someone that could reassure a lot of Republicans, both ideologically and also professionally. Of course, at that time, Donald Trump had never held public office, and he, he was a very unconventional Republican, both ideologically and also in terms of his professional background, his personal background. Going into 2024, Donald Trump is now not only a known factor within the Republican Party, he is the Republican Party's brand. And so uh, I don't know that uh, Trump has the same need to kind of reassure Republicans that he had uh, back in 2016. Is it possible? I mean, I think it's fair to say America was quite an anxious nation in 2020. And that election brought quite a lot of Americans into a state of depression because, you, you know, you had an unpopular figure in Trump and you had a figure that nobody had much confidence in in Biden. If it's the same matchup in four years time as four years later, as you suggest, it probably will be. I mean, it's going to be an even more gloomy election, is it not? Because Trump will be tarred by the end of his presidency, by the fact that he didn't accept the election result with any grace at all. And Biden appears to be collapsing as a president. Um, He's had a pretty disastrous first year. It's hard to see with so many crises on the horizon how he'll turn it round, not by the midterms, let alone in two years' time. I actually think it's it's less likely that Joe Biden will be a candidate in 2024 than it is that uh, Donald Trump will be. Yeah. You know, Biden is certainly showing his age. I don't know that there's, you know, any kind of clinical, you know, diagnosis that would be made of, of him right now. I think a lot of Republicans say that, but uh, I'm rather skeptical. But um, certainly uh, Joe Biden is, you know, he's getting up there in the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Donald Trump is not a lot younger, but he's a little bit younger. And he certainly seems more energetic. And uh, it just seems to me that the the past, you know, sort of year or so, this first year of the Biden administration has been uh, one of the darkest years that America has confronted in a very long time. The Afghan war had to come to an end, but of course it came to an end in perhaps uh, one of the worst possible ways and certainly in a way that many Americans have felt was a humiliation. You've had the continuation of COVID. We were all promised that, uh, you know, a competent Democrat would, you know, get COVID under control right away and that it was all the whole COVID crisis was Donald Trump's fault. Well, now it turns out that uh, COVID is a another sort of endless war, just as Afghanistan was, something that goes on and on. Uh, even with uh, with Joe Biden in charge. And in fact, now it's more ambiguous than ever as to how we're going to get out of this, you know, sort of lockdown craze and the masking and the, everything else. And uh, and then the economy, you have inflation running away for the first time in 30 or 40 years. So I think D- Joe Biden is in uh, dire straits here. He doesn't seem to have the energy and the stamina to take charge of the situation and lead America out of this problem. 
And so I think the Democrats, I, I think you already see indications the Democrats want to dump him. I thought it was very revealing that at the end of last year, the New York Times ran an article about potential alternatives to Joe Biden. They've actually run another article since then uh, talking about how the left is unhappy with Joe Biden. They don't think he's radical enough. And uh, you've seen articles in other places like Politico. These are pretty establishment, kind of take it slow uh, sorts of publications. These are not sort of radical fringe lefty blogs. But you're seeing a lot of chatter about uh, possible alternatives to Joe Biden in 2024. Well, uh, I suppose the problem for the Democrats is the alternative that everyone assumed would be the alternative was Kamala Harris, the vice president, who has had uh, an even worse run than Joe Biden since they've been in office. That's right. I think, um, you know, the Democrats uh, have as many doubts about uh, Harris as they do about Joe Biden. And this is starting to uh, it's like, you know, sharks starting to circle the blood in the water. You have a number of ambitious Democrats, including uh, people in the administration like Pete Buttigieg, who seem to be quietly setting the groundwork or or setting out feelers among the press, uh, suggesting that they would like to run in 2024. Well, we're getting away from uh, what was meant to be the point of this podcast, which is the future of the Republican Party. But uh, it is a very interesting possibility. So then you would see you you think you would see Trump against a figure like Buttigieg. I mean, Buttigieg didn't get very far, despite quite a lot of excitement about him early on. He he never got any votes among African-Americans, for instance. You you see him as a, a, a legitimate candidate? I think the Democrats have a very weak field right now. But, you know, sometimes that weakness can actually be turned into an advantage. So if the Democrats go into 2024 and they have a fresh face, someone who's totally unknown, who emerges from obscurity, that could be something that Americans are actually eager to have after, you know, seeing three elections in a row, perhaps, with Donald Trump as the dominating figure, after seeing Joe Biden, you know, be on the stage for as long as he has been. Uh, I think Americans might very well want to see a generational change in our politics sooner rather than later. The problem for the Democrats is that an awful lot of the young Democrats are either, uh, you know, too radical, people like uh, Alessandria Ocasio-Cortez, or they are people like Pete Buttigieg who just don't seem to be connecting enough with the Democratic base. Now, that said, you know, I I certainly don't think that Buttigieg is an extremely strong contender, but I also don't think that uh, Kamala Harris is an extremely strong contender. And she, of course, did quite poorly in the Democratic primaries in 2020 as well. And, of course, uh, Joe Biden himself was notorious for losing several presidential contests, you know, not consecutively, but over the course of 20 or 30 years before he finally won the Democratic nomination and then won the presidency. So the Democrats, I think, are very much in flux. But again, that may give them some fluidity, which the uh, Republicans perhaps will will not have. Bring it back to uh, the Republican Party. Do you think if Trump does run again, as you say he will, that we will see a more emollient Trump, perhaps? And there might have been an indication of this with the vaccine row that he got himself in recently, where he found himself being booed by some of his more fervent supporters because he said, uh, you should take the booster, I took the booster, vaccines are great. Possibly that's just because he wants all the credit for developing the the vaccine rollout, the vaccine programme. But possibly it's also that he wants to shift slightly away from the, let's call it the um, balmier fringe of his support. You know, that's a very good question. I think it's very difficult to project a strategy onto what Donald Trump would be doing. Donald Trump's strategy will be entirely personal. And you may be right. He may decide that he wants to run as a different kind of Donald Trump, but it'll be entirely his decision. It won't be the kind of normal political calculation that any other politician would make. And, you know, I I think his personality is pretty well uh, developed at this point. Uh, So I don't see him making any kind of dramatic changes in terms of how he would run. The question I think that a lot of people who were 
enthusiastic about Trump's agenda in 2016 have as they look forward to 2024 is what Trump will be running on in, if he runs again in 2024. So in 2016, he was the candidate of getting us out of the foreign wars in places like Afghanistan. He was the candidate of uh, building the wall and controlling the border. He was the candidate of bringing jobs back to America through an industrial policy and through tariffs. And um, in 2020, it seemed as if most of those topics became a little more muted. And uh, will he return to them in 2024 with the same sort of passion that he seemed to have in 2016? Are those going to be the same issues that people care about in 2024? You know, I was very disappointed during the 2020 election where the Trump administration had just issued an order basically removing critical race theory from uh, government agencies. It was no longer going to be part of the training uh, that government agencies imposed upon their new employees. And uh, Donald Trump was asked about this policy that he had just implemented at one of the presidential debates. And he simply had uh, very little to say about critical race theory. He did not do as good a job as Glenn Youngkin would later do uh, mm -hmm. in terms of taking control of the issue and using this as something to demonstrate just how radical and, uh, you know, sort of anti-American that the Democrats can be. Instead, Trump seemed a little bit uh, disconnected from the issue. And uh, if that kind of Trump runs again in 2024, then his prospects will not be very good at all. Trump needs to find a way to run in 2024 that is not just about his own personality, that's not just about his own brand, but that is actually about connecting with the things that Republican voters and, you know, some of the, you know, uh, people out, uh, you know, in the, in the independent realm uh, are really passionate about. Well, this brings us on to something we've discussed on this podcast before, which is trying to decipher whether Trump does have real political genius or whether in 2016 he had an unbelievable streak of great fortune that sort of his personality fitted into the moment perfectly. I think a lot of it is the same thing that makes him a successful entrepreneur and an entrepreneur who's come back from bankruptcies more than once. Those are skills that apply very well in politics. You know, he's able to make deals. He's able to, at least with voters, you know, he's able to uh, create the impression that he is someone who is able to lead, that he's someone with a vision, that he's someone with a very sort of forceful direction in which to take the country. And those are basic things that people want to see in a presidential candidate. And uh, when, when he's up against, you know, a field of, uh, you know, sort of lackluster candidates like, you know, he was facing in 2016 in the Republican primary. It's no uh, surprise that someone like Donald Trump comes across as being more interesting and more dynamic than the rest of the field. And when I say that's a weak field, I don't mean that they were weak in terms of being unqualified or weak in terms of otherwise, you know, in, another, in a different election year being implausible as Republican nominees. But they were the kind of Republican nominees who, who are not going to uh, create any more enthusiasm than a Mitt Romney or a uh, John McCain or any number of other unsuccessful nominees in the past. Whereas Donald Trump, uh, he was able to galvanize people by combining his personal, his personality and his, his personal background with the issues that were very hot at the time. And that's the kind of thing he needs to duplicate in 2024. I suppose the danger for the Trump campaign will be that he will obviously want to focus on what he regards as his amazing achievements um, and I'm not saying there weren't achievements in the Trump administration, but um, he has a pretty rose-tinted view of his own record. And that is not what one, that's not how he won first time, obviously, because he didn't have a record, but because he promised to be something completely different and new. Whereas now he's got, to, he's not, he will have to play on his four-year record, which is not going to win over a lot of independence, I don't think. It depends on uh, what the country's economic condition is in 2024. So if it's as uh, you know shaky as it is right now, if inflation is still running away, people might very well look back to the year 2019 as America's golden age. 
Whereas, you know, if the economy has uh, got inflation under control and uh, COVID is, you know, a thing uh, long in the past, then people will say, well, you know, why do we need to go back to 2019 when in fact uh, 2023 and 2024 seem to be perfectly nice years? I'm rather skeptical that, I mean, hopefully we will be beyond COVID by that point. Although again, the way things have gone, you know, over the past year makes one start to doubt. But I think the country will still be facing some serious headwinds in 2024. And uh, all of the baggage of the last several years will be upon Joe Biden's shoulders. And, uh, you know, by contrast, the Trump record will look pretty darn nice. Well, if, let's say, Trump is the nominee and is running a successful campaign against a Democratic candidate, whoever that might be, the left of America is going to go so crazy if it feels that Trump might get back into office. You really could see a serious destabilization of America, more serious than you saw in 2020, both on the left and right. That may be the case. You know, I think the left has such an extreme view of Donald Trump that they would see him as a grave danger and they would probably take to the streets. On the other hand, uh, one does wonder if some of the experiences of 2020 have you know, forced a lot of Democrats who were willing to go along with the mob back then to rethink uh, just how extreme their party was becoming. Uh, I think you see that right now, where a lot of Democrats are looking at the, for example, anti-police agenda that a number of prosecutors in places like New York City who've been newly elected uh, on a kind of uh, you know, Black Lives Matter platform. A lot of Democrats are having second thoughts about this. And if you look at the polling, uh, you find that you know, within a lot of inner cities that are troubled by crime, there's actually a lot more support of the police than there is within uh, you know, sort of white suburbs that vote for the Democrats. So um, I think the Democratic Party is in danger of uh, splitting here, kind of as it did, uh, you know, in the Lyndon Johnson years between the radicals and the people who are uh, relatively normal. And some of those relatively normal people. Now, this is one of the calculations Republicans are doing in their heads. Some of those Democrats who are alienated by the direction of the Democratic Party could potentially be won by a Republican. And the question becomes, are these voters that could be won by a more, you know, sort of traditional kind of Republican, uh, a more reassuring Mike Pence-like figure? Or are they voters who uh, might uh, be so alienated by the Democrats they would want to take a chance on Donald Trump? And of course, Donald Trump did win uh, a substantial number of Obama voters in key battleground states back in 2016. He also made significant inroads with black and uh, Latino voters uh, in 2020. So uh, it is quite possible that you know you would have some disaffected Democrats, especially those you know Democrats who might want to see more law and order, who would turn to Donald Trump in 2024. It's interesting you compared Biden to Lyndon Johnson there because some of his own team, you know, there was there was a lot of sort of talk that he would be a new FDR, and some of his own team would said at the time that he was could be more of a Lyndon Johnson figure, who they revere as somebody who got stuff done. But you there focused on the split between the uh, radicals and the, and the more centrist Democrats at that time. Could you tell us a little bit more about that split and how it might be uh, repeated uh, under Biden? Yeah, you know. Uh much as you've seen in recent years, the Democrats were kind of in the midst of a cultural revolution uh, in the Lyndon Johnson years. You had both the civil rights movement, which, you know, the civil rights movement kind of reached its apogee. It had the uh, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And then after that, uh, a number of radicals kind of took over a number of organizations and they didn't want just civil rights. They wanted to have, you know, a kind of revolutionary attitude towards uh, race relations in America and, uh, you know, you had things like the Black Panther Party, but there were much more radical groups than that that were out there as well. So you had all of that happening. You had crime rates starting to rise, just as you have them rising again now. Uh, you also had the Vietnam War. So you had very large uh, anti-war protests and a lot of radical rhetoric that was attached to that as well. 
Now, uh, the conditions are somewhat different today. Instead, what you have now is you have uh, a radical ideology that uh, the best educated Democrats and the wealthiest Democrats, uh, the white liberal elite, have embraced. And basically, it's because they have been taught by the 60s radicals who went and became professors in the universities. And so now you have a generation of young college-educated yuppies who have these extremely radical views and really don't like America. They think the country was founded on evil and needs to be revolutionized if it's going to be redeemed. Then you have uh, ordinary Democrats. You know, uh, this includes a lot of Latinos. It includes, you know, a lot of African-Americans. It includes a lot of uh, blue-collar voters who used to be solid Democrats. They're all looking at this party now of, you know, pronouns and this party of defunding the police. And they're saying, why on earth is this my party? The Republicans, you know, whatever you think about Donald Trump's, you know, sort of personal life and his flamboyance, the Republican Party at least says, you know, normal things about, hey, let's keep taxes low, let's keep blood off of the streets, and let's, you know, have, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, you, you can have tolerance. Donald Trump is certainly not, you know, a, uh, you know, a moral crusader when it comes to uh, LGBTQ, LMNOP issues. But uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, is also not someone who's forcing political correct, you know, correct, political correctness and pronouns and new speak upon people who would be, uh, you know, uh, in his America. So uh, I think a lot of ordinary folks look at the Republicans nowadays as being uh, the much saner party. And you kind of see that in the polling. And of course, the Democrats are losing their minds even more because they are so worked up about January 6th that they just cannot relate to any American who is not equally perturbed by it. And they are shocked that people would be more worried about the uh, you know, skyrocketing crime rates in the cities than they are about the Q shaman who walked into the Capitol on January 6th of 2021. Well, perhaps this is some of my residual Trump phobia, but surely... I mean, if Republicans are seen as the saner party um, in the years to come, Trump is not the right candidate for them because, I mean, he's not someone who people associate with sane, normal politics. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that is the greatest concern that even a lot of Trump supporters have. They simply think that, you know, his moment was in 2016, maybe in 2020. But in 2024, you're going to have to basically reverse the 2020 election. What I mean by that is in 2020, the main narrative that was put out by the media was Donald Trump has made the country a very, you know, sort of uh, unstable place between his COVID response and uh, the riots in the streets that he couldn't control and uh, police abuses and other things. And they said that all of this was Donald Trump's fault. And that if you just get rid of Donald Trump, the country will go back to normal and it'll be just like uh, the Obama era or just like the Bill Clinton era. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Joe Biden seemed like a reassuring figure who had been connected with, you know, the Obama administration as its vice president, someone who had, you know, a long history in politics, and therefore he was the candidate for returning to normal. In 2024, if the country is still in the condition that it was in in 2021 and seems to be here at the beginning of 2022, the uh, Democrats will not be able to run as the party of returning to normal. They'll be the party of abnormality in office. And uh, the Republicans quite logically say, well, that means we need to have our own Joe Biden. We need to have our own Republican Joe Biden who reassures people that, hey, we can, you know, the country will go back to normal if, you know, you just elect us. But of course, that didn't work out with the Democratic Joe Biden. So people may wonder if there's anyone in the Republican Party, anyone in the political mainstream who could possibly, you know, sort of restore normality. Maybe, you know, the, the old style of politics is just completely demolished at this point. There's simply a lack of enthusiasm among Republicans themselves for most of the potential Trump alternatives. I think DeSantis is probably the one who has the best shot, 
But if you look at the others, you know, you have Christy Nome. She's not known to a lot of people. She's someone that a lot of, you know, sort of more hardline conservatives have reservations about because she has made various concessions to the pronoun people and others and other uh, types. You have, you know, Nikki Haley is sort of beloved by a certain kind of center-right Republican, but uh, really turns off more, uh, you know, sort of right-leaning Republicans. And uh, Mike Pence, again, you know, is seen as uh, neither fish nor fowl. He's a little too close to Trump to run as a non-Trump candidate or an anti-Trump candidate. But he's also uh, not seen as being uh, sufficiently close to Trump that uh, he can run as, you know, a alternative for those who really like Trump. So uh, I don't really see that there's a lot of promising alternatives to Trump in terms of their probabilities of getting the nomination should Trump run in 2024. And I think a lot of Republicans, you know, who could potentially be presidential nominees are planning to bide their time. They say, look, 2024, it could be a golden opportunity, yes, but you know, it could also be a really bad opportunity for running for president. Because first of all, if Trump runs, that's gonna create enormous complications for any other Republican. You know, even if you could win the Republican nomination against Trump in 2024, is Trump the kind of person who's likely to endorse the nominee if he loses? Is he the kind of person who might tell his supporters to, you know, run a writing campaign for himself and therefore subtract from the Republican Party's votes? I think all of that is very much a live possibility. Uh, or he could run third party, you know. <laughs> it would be amazing to see Donald Trump get the Libertarian Party nomination, but uh, the Libertarian Party has certainly nominated some very, you know, uns- uns- very surprising, you know, unsuspected people over the years, including uh, big-time drug warrior Bob Barr. So you never he could, know. He could finally make the Libertarian Party a force in, in American politics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, you know, there's a, there's a Libertarian case for Donald Trump in, in many ways. Um, <laughs> any case, uh, I don't think that is highly probable, but I do think that, you know, if Trump runs for the Republican nomination and loses, look forward to him being as bitterly disposed towards what any Republican who beats him as he is towards Joe Biden right now. So that is a calculation that a lot of uh, Republican uh, aspirants really have to run through their heads. Do they want to have that kind of bitterness even if they could win the nomination? Or would they rather just take a pass on 2020, 2024, I should say, and look ahead to 2028? The other thing, too, is that while the way the country stands right now, you would think that almost anyone would have a good chance of beating the Democrat in 2024, you know, we've got three years to go yet. And um, if the country is, uh, you know, feeling much more optimistic in 2024, uh, you've got an incumbent administration. And uh, it can be uh, very difficult to beat an incumbent administration. So I think uh, a lot of Republicans who have, you know, great ambitions or bright political prospects in the future, they're thinking more about that second slot on the Donald Trump ticket. They would rather lobby to be his vice president rather than run against him and, uh, you know, face the, uh, you know, all of the mess that 2024 is likely to bring. Dan, it's always a great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 